Freeman. I think he's one of the finest young youth ministers in our churches right now, and he's uh, just doing a phenomenal job here. So you are blessed. I'm blessed to be here, and I'm just fantastic to feel good with the amount of crowd. I think this is the first year you guys did this, so this is a lot of kids for uh, this. I guess teenagers, you guys are not kids, but when you're my age, you're all kids. So I grew up as a heathen. And so I didn't grow up going to church at all, but I remember going down to Texas. And in Texas, I went to this camp called Camp Bandina. And it's a very famous camp in the Texas kind of southern area, uh, maybe close to San Antonio to put it in a spot. And while I was there, there was this one boy, and you could tell every single year he won Male Camper of the Year. And... His name just listed every time. And this was his senior year, and he was on my case about being baptized. He was constantly pestering me. You need to be baptized. Hey, you want to talk about baptism? You want to study about baptism? Hey, let's uh, go down to the river and maybe put your fingers in just to kind of get familiar with what it would be like to be baptized. And it drove me crazy because it felt like he didn't really care about my soul. He only cared about winning male camper of the year at church camp and he knew in his mind if he could get the one even baptized he would sew up that award and so he did everything he could to pressure me into being baptized and it came off cheesy it came off fake and it did not come off where it made me want to be baptized in fact that saturday i left him as i was kind of ready to leave he was still on my case about being baptized and then the next Sunday I was baptized when he asked me it was like no way never not going to do it Sunday morning I woke up and said I think I need to be baptized it was about heart a lot of times when we do evangelism bad evangelism stops good evangelism and when people evangelize and it comes off cheesy, it comes off fake, it causes other people not to want to evangelize because you don't want to be like a salesperson. You don't want to be somebody who's just doing it to do it. You've got to genuinely care about somebody's soul. And so when you have bad evangelism, it stops good evangelism. So I'm going to tell you some skills. I know your theme is kind of out loud or loud or just yell and scream at each other. Is that kind of the theme this year? Wow. Wow. Oh, scream. <laughs> sure. So I want to give you some real tools on how to be evangelistic, real ways that you can do it in a natural way. So let's look at John 4, 5 to 7. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob came, gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So Jesus has this ability, and we're going to see it in the text, of making the gospel interesting, of making it interesting. A lot of people, when they don't grow up in the church, and probably most of you maybe have some church experience. I grew up in Nova Scotia, Canada, and so church people were just very rare. So we didn't even really hear a lot about Christianity. But the people that I found connected to me didn't say, so you want to talk about 
sanctification. You know, what? You know, we're going to talk about redemption. And I'd sit back and think, what? I know. We're going to talk about the atonement sacrifice of Jesus Christ. After about those three conversations, I'm sitting back thinking, I don't care. They have to make the gospel interesting. So a lot of times when we use Christian speak or the things that make sense to us doesn't make sense to somebody who has never heard about Christ. So how do we make the gospel interesting? Look at what Jesus does here. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Now here's this lady. It's the middle of the day. It's super hot. And Jesus starts to bring up this idea of living water. If you are somebody that has to go out to a well every single day to get more water, it's a long trip, and somebody says, hey, I can tell you about living water, would you be curious by that? Would you want to ask them the question? A lot of times when it comes to evangelism, we want to be the ones telling the person. But good evangelism invites questions. And there's a totally different approach. You could go up to somebody and say, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Let me tell you about that. But if you can get them to ask the question, now they're willing to listen because it was their idea. Jesus doesn't tell her about living water until she asks about living water. So I've had a couple Bible studies the last couple years, and I'll tell you some of the themes. One of the themes was a lady came to me, and she was struggling with evil spirits attacking her at night, and she found this rock, taped it to her ceiling, and was hoping for the rock to protect her. Now, guess what I told her? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard on the face of the earth. What are you thinking? Did I say that? No. I said, I can solve your problem for you. I have a way to protect you from those evil spirits. Would you like to hear about it? Yes, and so she would come in and we would talk to her about becoming a Christian, about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus Christ being Lord, and how he will protect her from evil spirits. She became a Christian. She was baptized. Another lady came in, and her struggle was depression. And she was looking for ways to help with her depression. And I said to her, I can help you solve that. The key is, when it comes to a Bible study, we need to make sure that we talk about what they care about, not what we care about. They are having genuine needs and interests, and it's up to us 
to find those interests and to connect with them with that. So here's kind of how you do this a little bit, all right? So I call it the AIM approach, the AIM approach. In your generation, the previous generation, here's how we usually did evangelism. You have a seminar and you talk about the existence of God, and that's your first blog. Then you talk about the Bible being inspired, and that's your second block. And then you would talk about Jesus being the Christ. And you would take those blocks, and in logic, you build upon that. And then you hope, that by the very end of it, somebody says, I see what you're talking about. I see your logic. It makes sense to me. And then they become a Christian. In your culture, in your age bracket, it's a lot better to tell your story. Because experience rules by context. So however you see the world, how you experience the world, is going to be how you see truth. So it's a lot wiser to invite somebody to something like this, to invite them to do like a team BBS, to invite them to help out with BBS, when they're not even Christians, because they start to see a different experience. They see Christians and they say, wait, they don't seem that odd. They seem kind of normal. And I can see myself being part of that. Through the logic, they sit back and think, well, that's not my experience. Therefore, it's not true. But when they experience it, then they can see the truth and it makes sense to them. So this is why we use the AIM approach. First step is to be authentic. Do not go to somebody and say, well, I grew up in a perfect family. I had a perfect youth minister named Benjamin McGreevy. I attended a perfect church and had a perfect preacher. And I'm just kind of perfect. And so I wanted to share Jesus with you. I can promise you that's really not going to win very many people over. So you got to talk about what you're struggling with. Your life. I struggled or I needed Jesus, Jesus had made a difference. Then you gotta create interest. You gotta think about what are they looking for? What do they want in their lives? And then you say, I can help you discover that. So you gotta create interest, and then you wanna talk about the third step, the difference Jesus has made in your life. So you may be this person, but because of your Christianity, because of how Christ has transformed you, he has made that difference. And that's what you have to do. All right. We're going to see a little quick example of this. Look at uh, Paul's example in Acts 22. So notice what Paul does here. Acts 22, 1 to 5. Paul shared information about what he did and thought before becoming a Christian. Remember Paul? He persecuted Christians. He was there for the stoning of Stephen. He is going around to arrest Christians. He is doing everything he can to stop this faction called Christianity. But, in Acts 22, 6 to 11, Paul creates tension in his story. Jesus appears to him. So now you have this Pharisee who's doing everything he can to destroy Christianity. And here comes Jesus Christ who blinds him, and somehow Paul says, and I think I'll follow you now. So if someone came, let's say I came up to you, 
and I just grabbed a stick and I just started whacking you with it. And then I said, hey, do you want to follow me? Any of you would join up for that? No, you're going to think I want to get away. Paul gets blinded by Jesus and he still says, I'm going to follow this man. Think about that. Then he highlights the difference. Paul highlights the impact that Christ made in his life. Acts 22, 12 to 22. He talks about the new mission that Christ is going to give to him in reaching the Gentiles. So once again, you have this Pharisee who's a Jew who doesn't want anything to do with Gentiles. Then after meeting Jesus, becoming a Christian, he has a new mission. He's going to reach out to the people who he formerly would not associate with. Huge, radical transformation. That's the story he tells. All right. But how do you infuse Christianity? How do you infuse having Christ in your conversation? So we're going to talk about this a little bit. The art of turning a conversation. So you have in Acts 16.25, this Paul and Silas are in jail. They're singing songs. And then the Philippian jailer asked this great question. What must I do to be saved? And every time we hear that, what do you guys think it is? What, are they, what is he asking about? Does anybody know? I'm going to actually wait. I'm going to pause. I'm going to ask the question so you're all prepared. What must I do to be saved? What does the Philippian jailer want to know about? Yes. How to give eternal life? Yes. That's what we always answer. But think about this, though. What must I do to be saved probably has two meanings here. The guard, if he allows Silas and Paul to leave, he dies. And so the custom, if you are a Roman guard, if your prisoner escapes, you are going to be killed instantly. So when he asked them the question of what must I do to be saved, he's essentially asking what must I do for you not to leave because there's been this earthquake, everybody's escaping, you are under my control. What must I do to keep you from being, uh, what must I do to keep you here? And so he's really asking about his physical life. But we always see it as, oh, he must want to learn about baptism. No, he wants to learn about how not to get a spear in his heart from another Roman guard. That's what he's wanting. That's what he cares about. This guy, we always think, oh, they were in jail and they heard the singing and all that. No, he doesn't want to die. It's very simple. But Paul tells him not just how to be saved physically. He tells him how to be saved spiritually as well. So he takes the physical need and tells him how to be saved. So I want to tell you a couple, um, two stories, two stories. So when I became a brand new Christian, I got baptized in Texas, and I came home back to Nova Scotia, and I was super excited to evangelize. I was kind of a little outgoing, and so I would tell everybody about Jesus. But I didn't really master the art of turning the conversation around to a spiritual topic. So one time, I was sitting on the bus, because I'd ride the bus to this community college, and there's these two girls there. And they were talking about one of them who cheated on her boyfriend that weekend. So I listened. 
also known as eavesdropped. <laughs> and I just listened patiently, you know, with a heart full of love for those sinners. And I waited until around the opportune time, and I said, by the way, God says cheating is a sin. I figured that would be a great opening line. I'm sure they would be just like, you know, the Samaritan woman. Tell me more of this sin of my life. So I, they didn't ask me that, but I did tell them more about their sin. And I explained it all to them and how that was wrong. It was sinful. God did not like that. You shouldn't be cheating on your boyfriend. And, well, then I stopped and got off and went to school. Feeling quite pleased with myself, I like to add, for my evangelistic desire and bringing Jesus up in a conversation. Do you guys think that went well? No. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yes. All your heads are like... No. And it's kind of like one of those, like, you put your heads down, and it was like, no, that was so bad. It was like a shameful no. You know the difference? It's like, no. And then it's like, no. Man. I can't believe you just told us that. So that afternoon, I got back on the bus, and by, must have been Providence, because I thought it was Providence, the girl, not the cheater, but the friend got on the bus, never saw her on that bus, ever on the way back home. She came and sat with me, and I thought, yes, this is gonna be, this is gonna be a moment. She's, she's gonna, she's gonna say, what must I do to be saved? I just knew that was gonna happen as she came and sat next to me. And so I, I, I leaned in, I said, do you wanna hear more about salvation? And I got the biggest chewing out of my life. Like, it did not go the way I thought it was going to go. You know, Jesus always says, you know, if you say things in my name, I will be there. It felt like it went poorly, you know. And she chewed me in. I was, oh, I was judgmental. I was a jerk. I think she cussed and swore at me, which was a sin, by the way. <laughs> I did learn a little better. I did not go there again. And... And then I just was like, wow, that, that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Don't know why. Now, you guys have been probably part of Christianity for a lot longer, but I was new. I was like really kind of that age, and I just thought that's what you did because I was so excited about sharing Jesus. Another time, back when I was home, I was going to a preaching training school, and I got back home, and I saw this friend named Sean. And I said, Sean. You should come and hear me preach. And he said, be quiet. He didn't really say be quiet, but that's what I have to say to you guys because that's kind of what he said, but it really wasn't. But I can't say what he really said right here. And so he said, be quiet. And I said, no, you got to hear me preach. He goes, you're a preacher? Because remember, I was a heathen. And he, I said, yeah, I'm a preacher. You got to come and hear me preach. He said, be quiet. And then I said, no, I'm serious. And so we went back and forth about, you know, I'm a preacher. I'm in Texas now. I'm going to school to be a preacher. And he would say, be quiet. No, don't be quiet. And back and forth, probably about five minutes, because he could not believe that that was actually true. Finally, my mother was with me. And she kind of said, no, no, he's actually a preacher. And he said, be quiet. <laughs> my mom. 
He wasn't. Well, then I looked at him. I said, Sean, you need to come to church this Sunday because you're a heathen. <laughs> my mother was mortified. My parents weren't Christians at that time. And so when I called my friend a heathen, she didn't think that was appropriate. And you could just tell she was really sad that her son went off to be a preacher. And now she's, he's calling all his non-Christian friends heathens. And so she's like, ah, you can't do that. That's not very nice. And Sean, as they say in the South, bless his heart, he goes, oh no, I am a heathen. I need to go to church. And on Sunday morning, he showed up. So you just never know. So sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it just doesn't. <laughs> that poor girl's like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> so, be a little better than me at that. Um, there is an art. So you want to take their need, their genuine need, not call people names like sinners and heathens, but take a genuine interest of something that they're dealing with and say, I can help you with that. That's the art of turning the conversation around. And let's look at what happens. John 4, 28, 30. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. So notice what she does. She goes into the city. She's an evangelist. She tells these other individuals, what? Come and hear a man who told me everything about myself. What did she do? Created interest. Connect it to them. And notice what happens here in John 4, 39-42. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, look at what they say. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. Notice the transformation that takes place. She meets Jesus. He creates that interest. She then goes into the community, tells them. They come out. Jesus spends time with them. And then they become believers as well based on that woman. You see the model of evangelism in that text in John chapter 4 of how Jesus does it. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate being here. And I want to say a prayer.